chapter 8, beginning with verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and here I would translate just a little bit differently. We have in Acts chapter 22 this same word. It says, go and midday, high noon, when there is this conversion of the of Saul, the apostle Paul, it uses that expression, this light came at midday. And I think it's, in fact, it's the exact same word here. And it's not so much pointing that he's going south, which he is, but that it's a certain element of timing that's involved, I believe, as you'll see with this whole passage of scripture. Here we read that at midday, you know, and then it says this desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on the way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot or covered wagon, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And so I'd like to stop there and just talk to you about something that I think is so important as we look at this passage. And as you look at it, here is a question we might ask. He sent all the way down south. And to think, you know, he's up in Samaria, Philip, and he has to come down to Jerusalem, and he has to come on down towards Gaza, and as he's going down, he's got to meet up exactly at this point where this Ethiopian VIP is this finance man for the Ethiopians. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Now, I'd like for us just to plant ourselves for a moment. Why in the world do we have this taking place? That is, here is up in Samaria, what we might call today a revival taking place. It tells us in the first part of this chapter that everyone gave their complete attention to everything he said, Philip, as he was preaching. Very interesting, even the apostles, Peter and John, joined there in Samaria that they would be participants in this that's taking place. This is an amazing time. Samaritans are coming to faith in Christ. This is a historic moment in the apostolic church. And yet, we have this passage where it says, go midday, take that road going down to, towards Gaza. This is desert. In fact, it's literally this expression. This is desert. Now, we already know we've read ahead. There's going to be a baptism take place. And as old John Calvin has in his institutes, he says it was without a doubt the meaning of this word immersion or this word baptism is immersion. And this was the practice of the early church. So as we look at this, this is desert. And you kind of ask, why is this taking place in this is desert? And I would give to you that I believe there is divine timing 
in this whole passage. In fact, I think reading that word instead of southward that he's to go, but to read it as midday or high noon gives us a sense of something of timing that's taking place. If you look at this divine timing in the desert, his arrival had to be precise. Coming down from Samaria, getting on that road from Jerusalem, going down south, he had to meet up with this Ethiopian. Now, think for a moment with me. Most of you who are here today either have your Bibles that you can open up and, hey, it's pretty nice. In fact, I use this Bible because I can find things really fast. I have a nice ESV that's brand new, and i got to work at turning every page. You know, maybe it's because I haven't read it enough. But this just, I mean, it just goes quickly. 24 feet long with 54 columns is what we have there, the Dead Sea Scroll of Isaiah. When we speak of what they had as scriptures, we're not talking about something like this. They had to unroll this. There was not chapter divisions, let alone verse divisions. So when he comes precisely to this place in Isaiah chapter 53, which is what we might call the sunlit summit of the whole Old Testament of Christ dying for sinners, for those who are cut off from those who are gone astray. He is reading precisely from that passage of Scripture. And to think of this, this role, this scroll, that's, I mean, I've been there, and it spreads out 24 feet there in Jerusalem, this scroll of Isaiah, with those 54 columns of Scripture all the way through. And to find that and be reading from that passage at exactly the moment when Philip arrives, and he hears him reading. There's timing that's involved. There's preciseness here. It's divine timing. There's a purpose that God has in all of life. There's a timing that you are here this morning to see the testimony of four, how God has worked in their lives to come to profess Jesus Christ publicly, to identify with him the timing for this Ethiopian who has gone to Jerusalem and is returning to Africa. He's on his way back. Again, think about him. He's this VIP. I mean, you know, you know those that are important, that they are the ones who really take care of and oversee and have all the elements of the finances. The queen was the one who directed governed everything. The king of Ethiopia, in their tradition, he was above all that. It was the queen that did it all. The name Candace is similar to a name like Pharaoh or Caesar. It's a generic name for those who would be in charge. And this one, Ethiopian, he was in charge of it all under her. He has with him those that he could command to stop where they were later on in the passage. He is one who is directing things of great importance and one who is there 
giving testimony in one sense of what's taken place in his life. And it says there in the passage, go over and join this man, join this wagon. God sent Philip precisely at this moment, at this time. The timing is divine. I remember in Cornerstone in our our history, we would sing, uh, we had a trio of ladies that would sing this hymn that's so beautiful. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. I can kind of still hear those three ladies singing. There was a beauty to that, that we realized it's not I found him, but he found me. He came and sought me. And there, we know as Christians, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. We know that God is working in all these things, his divine timing in all these things. You're here this morning because God has timed your life so you would hear and see the testimony of these who have come to faith in Christ. You're here to hear his word. His timing is perfect. It's divine. He speaks to us. He speaks to you this morning. Second, look with me at verse 32. Very interesting. We read verse 32 these words, actually coming back to verse 31, when he's, Philip asks, or he says the Ethiopian, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me, this passage of scripture. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? In a sense, you might even think of the eunuch being identified himself with this, being cut off from his generation, thinking of this. For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, we call this the gospel light in the desert. And it's a light brighter than the sun. It's a light that comes with such brightness, the word of God. But how strange People are so blind they can't see or understand it. In their own way, because of their own sinful nature, they can't see these things. They can't understand these things. Only as God opens the eyes. Only as God gives eyes to see, life to breathe and know. It's a spiritual new birth born from above that is spoken of so often in scripture. And so what happens here, he says he can't understand, and he says, guide me. And how 
it would seem the Lord had humbled this man. Though he was a VIP, the reality was he was humble enough to say, I need guidance. So often, we have, as the psychiatrist in our world today say, man's normal state is self-righteousness. Man thinks of himself as one who knows it all, or what I might call a fathead. Know it all. They're not asking to be guided. I already know that. I already know that. And this Ethiopian says, I need guidance. Whom is he speaking of? Is it Isaiah or someone else? And it tells us in a beautiful way that Philip evangelized him. He gave him the good news about Jesus. This light in the desert shined through Philip to him. What an amazing moment. I think those words that we sang a few moments ago, no, li- no list of sins I have not done, no list of virtues I pursue, no list of those I am not like, can say myself a place with you. O oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through, my only hope of righteousness is not, is not in me. It's only in you. And there is really the, the element that it's not somehow or another our, uh, the Ethiopians' pilgrimage to Jerusalem or our pilgrimage in the church or our study of the Bible or our knowledge of the Bible, our correctness of theology. But it's only the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And so that's why we sang earlier, if you thirst, come to Jesus. If you're tired, come to him for rest. Come, he is the one. It's not found in us, but in him. And so this gospel light came in a very powerful way. It was that which we would pray that the Lord would open the hearts of our children, open our eyes Constantly that we would see him more and more. We keep on coming to Jesus. It's not one time, but it's all of the Christian life. As we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, we are to walk in him, not in ourselves. So as we have this passage before us, I would ask that you read on with me. We read the next part that we would call the roadside baptism in the desert, that some have said is too hasty. Some have even looked at this very passage and said, hey, they're on this road, and he's gotten the gospel, and what he needs is 12 weeks of classes. What he needs is three years of see if he really is a Christian, see if he's really going to obey the things of Christ. But somehow or another, in this apostolic day, and maybe it's not always that we would try to have this as our pattern, but I think we need to be careful anytime we look at Scripture and think we need to add a little something. And it would seem later in the church, those who were copying Scriptures, they thought there needs to be a confession of faith put in here. So if you look at your Bibles, most all your Bibles will not have a verse 37. Might have a footnote that says later manuscripts added this element Something like this. And Philip said, after 
he had asked to be baptized, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I would just say, it's dangerous any time to think we need to add something to God's word. That it's not sufficient. We need something more. It needs to be clearer. It needs to somehow another... I feel embarrassed to say it needs to be better. That's dangerous. Those words echo in my mind from 1 Corinthians 4, 6. That apostolic saying constantly is there. Do not go beyond what is written. Say it with me as a congregation. Do not go beyond what is written. That needs to echo in our minds. God's word is sufficient. And so when we come to this passage, it's important for us to see that it is sufficient. We read there in verse 34, And a eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please. And he then brings the gospel to them. And then verse 36, And they travel along the road, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And then verse 38, And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea back up north. So what an amazing roadside baptism. We shouldn't take it as being too hasty. Philip was part of that apostolic band, and there was this amazing moment of baptism. And it's a baptism, I believe, as part of that Apostolic Church, significant baptism. It's the first, what we would call outcast. Yes, Gentile, eunuch, African, black. He's part, he's being baptized publicly. It's an amazing moment. There's something taking place out and beyond old Judaism. There's something taking place here that is momentous in the history of the church. This VIP, before all of his servants, he takes a step across the line. There's something that takes place that's significant. Remember, he commands the wagon to stop. The servants are there. This man, this Ethiopian, he's going to be going home a different person. He's taken a step, as we would say, across the line. He's crossed over. They know publicly where he stands. Yes, witnessed by all, we will have this element of being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These four, in that sense, are crossing a line publicly to be identified that they belong to Jesus Christ and to him alone. And this was a momentous moment in the apostolic church. This African, 
this eunuch would not be cut off. He would be included in. This outcast that couldn't enter the temple, he's now part of the temple. He belongs to Jesus Christ. We all, I shouldn't say we all, most of us grew up singing that hymn of, of uh, Charlotte Elliott, Just As I Am Without One Plea. And I think it's a good hymn. And I think it's also a good hymn for us maybe to modify once in a while in our minds something like this. Just as I am Ethiopian, Gentile, eunuch, outcast, with every barrier broken down, now to be thine, yes, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. All are called to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This great moment is saying, yes, all the people of of old, yes, all those who are Samaritans, yes, all those who are Gentiles, all those who are cast out, all are welcome to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has called you, all of you, to cross the line. Have you? Many are even baptized, and yet they're still private Christians. They somehow or another don't want to be identified at work. They don't want to be identified in family. There's a sense in which this man was identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what baptism is all about. He comes from the edge of the known world, of the black race, a castrated male, a Gentile, and he's been given light in the desert that changes everything. He is one who points us to this great reality we have for the world today. The gospel is for the whole world. None are excluded. We ask that question, why this divine timing? Because God in his salvation has it planned to show us that the gospel is for all nations and all peoples. This gospel light has come to us, and it's for all peoples. And this roadside baptism is very important. I think it's also good for us to look back at history and see something of how God sent this man on almost would seem like, as it says, he went on rejoicing. What do we have in history? The early church, it would seem, had that great emphasis from those church fathers from Africa. Tertullian. You remember anything about him? Well, he was the one who said, Athens doesn't have anything to do with Jerusalem. Why is Athens in Jerusalem? Why is it we're adopting the pagan way of thinking, philosophies? We need to begin with God, the gospel, Tertullian. Or we follow with my favorite, Athanasius. They called him the black dwarf. But he was a giant of a man for the deity of Jesus Christ. God used those people in an amazing way. Yes, five times exiled, Athanasius believed and showed from the scriptures that Jesus Christ was of the very same nature with the Father. 
very God of very God. Or Augustine, again, another African. Augustine, you know, those of you who have read uh, some of the great theologies of history, you, you read uh, Calvin's Institutes, and he has all these quotes in the back of the critical edition. If you, you know, it'll be about that long by these quotes from this church father, from this one, from this one, all these different quotes and everything. But when you turn to Augustine, it's pages you turn. He had an impact concerning the grace of God, that it's sovereign, divine grace. Augustine, was there a purpose? Why this man, Philip, left that wonderful time up in Samaria, God timing to bring him down to meet up with this African, Ethiopian, right there at that moment, that he would then be sent on his way, baptized. No church in the desert, no church yet, it would seem there in Ethiopia, but this man was sent rejoicing with the gospel. There was a purpose in God's work there. There was a purpose in your being here, with all of us being here this very day. There's a purpose, timing in your life, the gospel light for us this morning, the baptism of these who have come to cross the line. There's a ballad, a man by the name of Don Francisco. Maybe a few of you would remember him. I think those who are younger have never heard his name even. But uh, he wrote a number of songs that uh, some of our dear friends would sing at Easter time and other times. But he has one song about crossing the line. And these lines have echoed in my own mind. He wrote this back in 1977. And it goes, you've got to take a step across the line. Let Jesus fill your head and mind. I can show you where to look, but you've got to seek to find. You've got to take a step across the line. We believe that the work of salvation is all of God, but we also believe and see in God's word that he calls us to step forward and, yes, to seek, to find. You've got to take a step across the line. Let Jesus fill your head and mind. I can show you where to look, but you've got to, to seek to find. You've got to take a step across the line. Even if you've been baptized, and yet you've never really taken that step to identify at work, to fully identify in your family, to identify with Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. There's a time right now to say, yes, I want to identify with him. Maybe one feels like I'm just a bit too lazy to do that, or I'm, uh, I'm tired, or, or whatever it may be, but we come to have faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore we are baptized. Therefore we cross the line. Therefore we identify with him publicly. Therefore he is Lord of lords and King of kings, identified with him. We have this glorious day to witness for. Father, we thank you for the light that shined in the desert, that glorious day, that light that, yes, O oh Lord God Almighty, that light that is brighter than the sun, 
that light that has given light to these four. We thank you, O Lord, for Derek and for Julie, for Ben, for Sam. And we pray that these moments that we have with them to hear of the brightness of that light in their life, to see how they have taken a step to cross the line, that, O Lord, you would touch our hearts and how we are to be truly those who would identify completely with you, not in some way be ashamed to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, but that we would be identified with him wholeheartedly, completely, publicly, as we witness these four. 